Hello and welcome back to Wellness Digest, episode number five. Today we're going to be talking all about how to interpret a food label. Um, So in our last few episodes about nutrition and the food system, we talked a bit about food labels and why it's important to read them and how that's one of the best ways to know what's really in your food and to start having a little bit more awareness of what you're putting into your body. And so we just wanted to give you guys a little bit more details about that um, and just some kind of actionable tips for how to start reading your food labels and understanding what they mean. Yeah, I'm really excited for this one and this lesson by Tatum, because I think that when I started to read my ingredients and understand what was going into my food more, I felt so much more knowledgeable and like I had so much more power over what I was eating because I was able to distinguish, okay, this is an ingredient that's good for my body. This is one that I want to avoid. So I feel like understanding what is in your food is very empowering. So hoping that this will be a very empowering episode, Um, but (laughs) Like I said, excited to learn and Tatum, let's just jump right into it. Yeah, thanks. Um, And just to reiterate also, um, the reason why I kind of know all this stuff is because my bachelor's degree is in food science. So like part of the classes I took were like literally interpreting food labels, like what do certain ingredients mean? Why are they in foods? Like what's an emulsifier? Like all those different um, food science-y terms I started to like learn in those classes and then um Obviously, the more food label terms that have to do with agriculture um, are the ones that I dove into in my master's. And so, um, yeah, this is all kind of what I know from um, my education so far and um, also just personal research, because some of these things were just really like intriguing to me. Like I was like, oh, that's really interesting because that's not, that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Um, and so just kind of like looking it up myself and figuring out, okay, what does this really mean? And, um, what like laws are in place to actually ensure that that's an accurate term. So, yeah. Do you feel like in your food science and agricultural education, um, you were like swayed one way or another, or it was basically like just learning what ingredients were, or did they like say like, okay, like maybe organic is better or Mm -hmm. the other thing is better? No, not really. I mean, there were a couple of classes where we would do like debates, like we would be assigned like a debate side, like GMOs were a big thing. Um, people were like debating the safety of GMOs when I was an undergrad and, um, we, for one of my classes, our, one of our assignments was to participate in a debate. And we were given a side, regardless of what we believed in, we were assigned like which side we had to argue. And then we had to go research and find the information for it and literally argue with our classmates about whether they were safe or not and the pros and cons. Um, so stuff like that, that I did like in my undergrad really got me thinking about like, okay, what do I believe about these things? Um, and kind of like, what's worth picking a battle over was another thing that I really kind Mm -hmm. of learned throughout all of that, because some things like no matter how much they're labeled, like they are kind of out of your control. Um, the only thing you can really do is like, know what the label means, know what you're comfortable purchasing and what you're not comfortable purchasing and go from there. So, um, Yeah. Like I said, we have just been preaching a lot that reading your ingredients and food labels is key to understanding what's in your food and how it was grown or raised, made, whatever. Um, But it can be really difficult to do this if you don't know what some of the terminology means. And then to make it even more confusing, there are tons of loopholes in food labeling laws that allow companies to just slap all of these buzzwords onto a label for marketing purposes. Um, just to get people to think that they're healthier. So they'll buy them. So no worries. We have come to the rescue to (laughs) define some of these buzzwords and um, how to tell what's actually meaningful and what might just be a marketing tactic. Yes, we are here to help. (laughs) So Liv and I have pretty much just compiled a list of some words that we see a lot on food labels and sometimes ourselves are even confused by. So we're going to define each of them and then kind of debunk some of the myths that might be circling around out there. Um, I also want to say that the goal here is just to provide transparency about food labeling laws because holy crap, they're so confusing and complex, but as always, we're just here to provide the info and you all can make informed decisions about what you personally want to buy and consume. Okay. 
So let's dive in. Um, the first one that we thought of was natural flavor or color. So what that means is that the ingredient can come from anything derived from nature. So it could be from fruit, vegetable, meat product, an herb, tree bark, leaf, you name it. Anything that grows naturally in nature um, could be on the list. However, the FDA is not required to list where the flavor or color came from, even if it's an artificial source. So Mm -hmm. it's okay for them to just say natural flavor or artificial flavor without specifying where it came from. So natural flavor could be something as simple as like peppermint oil, or it could be something like red coloring from crushed up beetles. Not even joking, (laughs) not even joking. And that's not even the weirdest one, but I will spare you the nasty details. Um, And this is not to scare anyone because no one has necessarily said that red beetle dye is bad for you. Um, The point is just that it's not really regulated well. And as consumers, we should be advocating for more transparency. Yeah. um, Kind of a question on this one is something that I do, and I'm not sure if this is right. When I'm looking at natural flavors, if it is a company that I trust that I know sources their ingredients, right. And they have like maybe a natural flavor in there that wouldn't scare me as much. It's the ones that like, I have no idea. Maybe there's other little bit sketchy things in the label. What do you think about that? And like the sourcing of companies? Yeah. I mean, if you have done your research and you know a company well enough to know what they use in their food, then I'd say that's a safe bet. But, um, What I've noticed is usually that the companies that are willing to be more transparent, they're just going to list the ingredient for what it is. So they'll say peppermint oil instead of natural flavor. Like if there's nothing to really hide about where it came from, then they're probably just going to list it as the ingredient because that's actually more of like a selling point for the consumer to be like, oh, I know what that means. Like I can read that. I know what peppermint oil is. Um, So if they can state it, they're in their credible, like company willing to be transparent about what they're putting into their food, they're probably going to just say what it is because no one's going to think twice about that, but you probably aren't going to buy a food product that says beetle juice on it. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. Okay. Natural flavors, rethinking those a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. So moral of the story is that natural doesn't always mean it comes from something that you would consciously eat, but it also doesn't mean that it's necessarily better than artificial either. So gotcha. The next one is gluten and or dairy free. So these two really just mean what they say, which is that the product doesn't contain gluten or dairy. But the reason we wanted to talk about this one is because it's important to check what the gluten or dairy is being substituted with. Mm -hmm. So most of the time, gluten is substituted with corn, potato or soy. And then dairy is usually substituted with soy as well. Um, Liv, do you want to like touch on why that might be like detrimental to our health? Yeah. So I think that there's a few things. The first one is yes, gluten is inflammatory and a lot of people's bodies don't like it. But again, that goes back to bio-individuality and gluten might work with some people. I think that maybe Tatum will dive into this later, but The reason that gluten is such a problem is not necessarily always the grain. It's that um, in the United States, we spray them so heavily with glyphosate and other things. And so that like gluten and glyphosate or grains and glyphosate, like commonly or wheat co hand in hand. So it's not always exactly the problem is gluten. Um, As well as when you're substituting things with corn, potato and soy, just because it isn't gluten doesn't mean that it's not sprayed with things or your body likes that. Like um, a lot of people have intolerances to corn, potato, and soy. Maybe it's because they are sprayed and there's a lot of chemicals, but also like, I know that when I kind of had a leaky gut digestive situation, my body did not like potato. So having gluten-free items for me wasn't even helpful because they were all subbed with potato. And that was almost equally or more detrimental to my body personally. Yeah. And also like, like you said about the spraying with glyphosate, um, wheat, corn, and soy are like the main crops that are sprayed with glyphosate. Like those are the top ones. Um, and so that makes sense. And also, um, 
those are common, like sneaky ingredients too, like corn syrup, cornstarch, like a lot of things that are derived from corn and soy show up in mm-hmm. our foods, in processed foods and that we don't necessarily know about. And so that's kind of why people have started to develop intolerances to them because they're in yeah. literally everything that we eat. And so if the more that you eat it, you know, over and over again, the more your body is going to develop a reaction to it. So, yep. Yeah. Just a little tidbit there. And then, um, Another interesting thing about dairy substituted products, they can be labeled as dairy free or they can be labeled as non-dairy, which actually means two different things. Why? I I don't know why I make it more confusing, but dairy free is actually not regulated by the FDA at all and it has no definition. So again, the best way to know is to read the ingredient list because especially if you have a actually do have a dairy allergy, make sure you read the ingredient list. Um And then for non-dairy, the FDA actually still allows trace amounts of caseinate, which is milk protein in these products. Yes, I said that correctly. (laughs) Because that is one of the most like inflammatory reactive protein, why people have dairy issues. Yeah. And if they do that, then they have to list milk in the ingredients, but they can still slap non-dairy on the front of that package, which is just insane to me. Yeah, that is actually really wild. And another note on dairy and non-dairy, because I feel like dairy-free and non-dairy has become such a movement. Um, Honestly, I feel like it has become such a popular thing because yes, our dairy today isn't sourced or made in the best way, like conventional dairy that we eat. But that is not to say that every single person should be dairy-free because some people's bodies do tolerate very well sourced dairy. So I just feel like people have like this, a little bit of a misconception that like dairy free is the best way to go. But again, bioindividuality, some people's bodies can tolerate the right amounts and good sourced dairy and some people's can't. So it's not always healthy just because it says non-dairy. Clearly we don't even know what non-dairy and dairy-free means. Yeah. So um, again, just read the ingredient list, especially if you have an allergy, because what the heck? why is that allowed? I don't get it. Um, the next one is vegan and plant-based kind of the same as above. Just be sure to read the ingredients and find out what is replacing the dairy or the meat. Um, for example, a plant-based burger might have anywhere from 10 to 20 ingredients in it versus a grass-fed beef patty that has just one ingredient, grass-fed beef. So it's got better traceability because, if there's only one ingredient, you could trace it to the farm that it came from versus a plant-based burger that has 10 to 20 ingredients, some that you might not even know what they mean. Um, so for that, the key is finding a well-sourced plant-based meat or veggie patty that still uses whole food ingredients. And they are out there. Um, but a vegan slash plant-based label doesn't always mean it's made from real whole plants is really what we're trying to say. And also vegan and plant-based doesn't necessarily mean that it is healthy because they can vegan and plant-based, if I'm correct, doesn't that just mean like, can you explain or like define a little bit more what vegan and plant-based means? Well, yeah, it just means that there are no animal products contained in it at all. So there's lots of things that aren't animal products, like any, any canola oil, sugar, any chemical you can think of, any food additive, any preservative. I mean, most of those don't come from animal sources. They come from plants. So your, that plant-based product can be literally all just ingredients that you don't even know what they mean. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And I feel like a common theme thing when something is vegan or plant-based, like marketing wise, they make the labels look like green vegetables, Mm -hmm. grass health. And yes, some vegan and plant-based items are so awesome. Great ingredients but some of them have a bunch of crap on the back and the marketing and label just sucks you right in. Yeah. So again, read those ingredients. Um, (laughs) The next one is non-GMO, which goodness gracious, this is probably the biggest one because um, there's so much information uh, out there about it. And it's all really confusing in my opinion, but what is a GMO? So a GMO is a plant animal, or any organism that's genetic material has been altered using genetic engineering. 
80% of the time, this is done to make crops resistant to herbicides, which basically just means that when the crop is sprayed, it will survive, but the weeds around it are going to die. So the original idea behind this was that crops would become more resilient. And so productivity would increase, which sounds like a great idea. You know, like they can spray all of their crops with weed killer and the crops aren't going to die, but all the weeds will, you know, like that mm-hmm. sounds, sounds good um, in and of itself as an idea. Um, so why is this topic so controversial? So really it comes down to the fact that research on GMOs is all over the place and nobody knows what to trust. Um, but here's kind of what we do know, like just some factual things about GMOs. They haven't really lived up to their promise of increased productivity. So yes, the crop itself might be safe to eat, but the issue is that nature adapts. So as the weeds and the pests adapt, the chemicals that are used to kill them aren't going to be strong enough in the future. They're going to be Mm. resistant to it. So what happens then? More chemicals, stronger chemicals. So since introducing GMOs, we're actually using more chemicals, not less, which is the exact opposite of what was supposed to happen. So thoughts on that? (laughs) Yeah, that is just so interesting. And to me, like, obviously, well, to give just my opinion, I obviously get things that are non-GMO because not necessarily the GMO aspect, but the aspect that it was made so they would be resistant when they are sprayed. And the Mm -hmm. problem is the chemicals in the spray and the chemicals in the spray are what are causing so many health issues. Um, Yeah in our bodies, things like cancer, chronic inflammation, um, just like so many awful things that our population and health are going towards. And so I feel like even just listening to that description, it isn't necessarily like the GMO. It is the fact that we made something that's supposed to be resistant to chemicals when why do we even need chemicals? Yeah. So Yeah. It's kind of like what we were just talking about with the gluten thing. It's not necessarily the gluten itself. It's the fact that the gluten is sprayed with glyphosate to just a very excessive amount. And same with GMOs, like even though the actual genetically modified organism might be safe for consumption, it's the way that we are using them, the way Mm -hmm. that we are growing them, the way that we are relying on so many chemicals in order to like keep basically keep, um, crop levels high so that we can keep producing more and more food. Um, it just is not sustainable. And at some point we're going to get, we're going to reach a threshold where, I mean, things can only adapt so far and we can only have such strong chemicals until we are literally spraying them with chemicals that our bodies cannot like digest well. So, and our bodies really cannot digest the current level of exposure that is happening. So scary. Right. Yeah. So another thing is that the seeds for GMO crops are patented by large chemical companies. So of course they're going to want to advocate for GMOs because they profit from the sale. So it's really not helpful for the farmer at all because now they've got to pay more for the seeds. There's a whole lot of liability involved for them as well. So it's just kind of like a lose-lose situation um, in the long run. Um, We also know that 64 other countries require stricter GMO labeling than we here do in the States. And that should speak volumes alone um, that other companies around the world are realizing the impact um, that they have. And we Mm -hmm. are still doing nothing about it. Um, And also if they are completely safe for human consumption, then I just don't understand why it's such a big deal to put it on the label and let the consumer decide whether they, whether or not they want to purchase it. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess people can take this information and kind of do what they want with it, but how besides just is like the only way you can support maybe non-GMO making it more accessible to farmers, those type of things by literally just buying labels non-GMO or are there other ways that you can like impact this? Yeah. I mean, obviously voting with your dollar by what you purchase is, is a big one because consumer demand is going to drive drive supply. So, um, that's step one, but also, um, advocating for, well, first of all, doing your research on companies that 
support those practices. So figuring out like what food companies are being actionable about this. There are lots of food companies out there that are actually going to Congress and like Mm -hmm. proposing new laws and saying we need change. There's lots of activist groups out there. You really have to just dive into it and find kind of those groups that you can support that are making bigger change, because I know it can be really hard as an individual to feel like you only have so much power as just like yourself. Um, You know, you can buy all the non-GMO stuff you want and vote for politicians who are advocating for that as well. But sometimes it can feel like, you know, just you alone is not enough. So also educating people about this. Like if you do your research and you find that this is something you want to support, share the information with your friends, with your family, start having those conversations um, to get people thinking a little bit differently, because the more people that support it, obviously the more change that's going to happen. So um, yeah, it's a very big topic though. And um, really a lot of it is in the hands of larger entities and people that we don't have like immediate access to, to be like, Hey, we want change, you know? So it, mm-hmm. it, it can kind of feel um, a little overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. Um, so onto the labeling of GMOs, um, the regulation and labeling laws for them is extremely inconsistent. So first of all, GMO labeling laws only have to be followed by grocery stores. So restaurants, food trucks, deli shops, airlines, Anything besides a grocery store that sells food is not regulated under this law. So, and even in grocery stores, though, companies still don't have to explicitly say that a product contains GMOs. The least that they're required to do is put a QR code that directs the consumer to more information, which seriously, who is standing there at the store and scanning everything that they buy? Yeah, that's very (laughs) unrealistic. And then also... Meat and dairy products are not regulated by this law. So you could have a cow that's fed GMO corn and you might not know it. Meat and dairy do not have to be labeled. Um, Also highly refined sugars and oils from corn, soybeans, canola, and sugar beets are also exempt from the law. So like a product can still say non-GMO on it and it can still have highly refined sugars and oils from corn, soybeans, canola, sugar beets. Those just are exempt for some reason, actually not for some reason. Um, It's actually pretty obvious why they're exempt because these are literally the main crops that tend to be GMOs. So yeah, it's, I'm looking at Lip's face and I'm like sitting here perplexed. She's saying WTF. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. I mean, it just, it just makes me think like I, especially when I'm going to the grocery store, like I really need to be more and I am like probably a very cognizant person about my labels but just like the intricacies that yes it could be non-gmo but like think about what the animal ate or what this was made of Mm -hmm. or like it's not just surface level there's like so many layers to food and how it's made and wow gmos is quite the topic well yeah and and if the reality of it is if food companies said exactly how their food was made and where it came from, if they wrote exactly that on the label, there'd be a heck of a lot of people that weren't buying those kind of things anymore. If you really knew like what was going on behind the scenes. So it's really all about the marketing. Um, And that's why it's so important as a consumer to do your research and be your own advocate because your health is unfortunately not at the best interest of anybody else but yourself. Mm -hmm. So If you couldn't tell, I could probably go on about this forever, but what I'm trying to get at here is that it's about much more than just safe consumption of the GMO itself. It's about the aftermath effects, the type of food system we're creating by relying on these and the lack of transparency about what the heck is in our food and how it's being grown. Um, That's really the gist. So um, another (laughs) kind of confusing one, organic. Um, which we touched on this a little bit in episode two, but organic basically means that the crop cannot be grown, handled, or processed using synthetic pesticides or fertilizers. Also no sewage sludge, no GMOs, and no irradiation. So really quickly, um, I just said no GMOs. So I wanted to highlight that organic implies non-GMO, but non-GMO does not imply organic. Mm. 
So a product can be GMO free and still be sprayed with synthetic pesticides. But if it's labeled as organic, then you can be sure that it's not GMO. That's a good thing to point out. And I feel like um, organic so far with what we've talked about is like the safest bet looking Mm -hmm. for organic things if you have access and can afford them um, to not have to honestly think as hard because you say, okay, it's organic. I know it doesn't have any GMOs. I know it's not sprayed. And it's just like um, a quick kind of safer bet. Yeah, I think that it's definitely the law that's the most comprehensive out of all Mm -hmm. of these. Um, But I think that's also just because it's been around for the longest. It's been like a topic of discussion. There's more evidence to support it. And so it's definitely the one that is has the most um, specific regulations. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So organic, if it's an animal, that means that it can only eat organically grown feed and it cannot be treated with antibiotics or growth hormones. Um, now this is not to say that zero chemicals are used in organic farming, because that is not true. There are still chemicals that are allowed, but they have to be naturally derived, which usually means that they degrade faster microbes in the soil can break them down better. Um, and so humans are less likely to be exposed to those chemicals by the time they reach us. Um, And then I also want to mention that conventional farmers aren't always out there like spraying chemicals all willy nilly over our food. Um, Most of them do aim to minimize the amount that they use. But the problem is that our laws surrounding what's considered a safe level for synthetic chemicals are not backed by good evidence. And so the the levels at which they are allowed to spray are are not necessarily safe levels. And those levels are going to change over time as we learn more about the impact on human health. So the level that's allowed right now, um, we might find a couple years down the road that that was way too high and that we've been, our health has been suffering from it this entire time. So it's kind of, um, yeah, I don't know if I, that, that made sense, but no, that does make sense. (laughs) And I think that just a quick takeaway that I'm having so far from things is that yes, there are a lot of scary food things that you could be consuming, GMOs, chemicals, not knowing where things are from and sourced from and what they're going to do to your body. But the other aspect that I think that we also are trying to cover in this podcast is building up your health so your body can be more resilient to our growingly toxic world. So yes, maybe you encounter some things that are not organic, a lot of things that are not organic, um, some things that could be sprayed with glyphosate, some GMOs, but we also want to build resiliency within our own bodies that our bodies can take that, see that and dispose of it and detox it. So Mm -hmm. on two sides of it, yes, it is scary, but also hoping to advocate for making more resilient bodies. So we can kind of take on a world that maybe is a little bit more toxic than what our ancestors were used to. Yeah, for sure. And, um, one way that you can start building up that resiliency is to start balancing your foundations, which we talked about in the last episode, uh, so that you can be, have stronger, more better functioning systems. Nice plug. Um, (laughs) So for the labeling of organic foods, there are several different tiers, um, The first one is 100% organic. So if you see that, that means that the product is made up of 100% certified organic ingredients. So you'll usually also see the little green USDA organic seal as well, um, which indicates that the producer of those ingredients is a certified organic farmer. If it just says organic, that means that no less than 95% organic. And then if it says made with organic apples, bananas, whatever, that means no less than 70% organic. Um, And then anything less than 70% is not allowed to use the word organic on their label, except in the ingredient list. (laughs) Classic. Are you confused yet? Because same. Um, I just don't understand why it needs to be this complicated. Is it organic or it's not like, why do we need to have like four different tiers of organic? It just, it just doesn't make sense to me, but either way, it's good information to know so that you can make the purchasing decision that you're the most comfortable with. Yep. Yeah. 
So um, really quickly on the note of organic, I just wanted to touch on why organic is more expensive because I feel like this is a question that I get asked often. Um, And my answer for that is that it's more expensive because it's still not really the norm. Mm-hmm. organic farmers have to go through a very lengthy process before they can become certified organic. They actually have to wait three years before they can start marketing their product as organic to ensure that all residues are gone from the soil, which the fact that it takes three years for all chemical residues to be removed from the soil, that also says something. Um, so of course, this is going to be kind of a turnoff for farmers who are wanting to transition to organic because why would you want to wait three years to start benefiting from the price markup? Um, however, if all food was organic, then we probably wouldn't be seeing this price difference. So like we've said before, um, a way to kind of advocate for that and show that you are wanting more of this type of food is to buy more of it. Um, If you are able, if you have the extra money in your food budget to purchase organic food um, and that's a practice that you want to support, that is one of the ways that you can start supporting it and demanding um, more of it so that it will become more of a norm. Farmers will have more of an incentive to transfer to organic and then um, we'll start seeing it, you know, more often because in a lot of other countries, organic, like the word organic doesn't even show up on any labels because everything is grown organically. Like there is no organic food law. I think mm-hmm. Australia is one, uh, one country that, um, that does that. Like there's no organic foods. It's just, everything is grown organically. So there's no need for all of these different labels and, um, buzzwords. So it is doable. There are countries that are doing it. I hear a lot like, oh, well, that's not feasible. Like we can't feed enough people with that type of farming and blah, blah, blah. Well, there are examples of countries that are making it happen. So yes, we can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what really frustrates me about this and really just emphasizes how broken our food system is, is that a farmer can spray chemicals to kill bugs, spray more chemicals to kill weeds, and then add chemicals to the soil. And we don't require them to label any of that. But an organic farmer that wants to go use the USDA organic label has to wait three years, pay a bunch of money and go through a long ass legal process to prove that they don't use any chemicals. Excuse me. <laughs> it, just, like, it doesn't make any sense to me that like you've got on one end farmers that are allowed to use all of these chemical inputs and not have to put any labels on it saying that they use them. And then if a farmer doesn't want to use those chemicals, they have to go through this whole process to say they don't use them. It just, I don't know. Yeah. It just really emphasizes the, um, the brokenness, like you said, of our food system currently. Yeah. And the priorities, because the priority lies in the money that is made in big chemical companies. So why would we change that if we can make a bunch of money from it? Something to think (laughs) about. Um, Yeah. So anyway, animal products is the next topic. Um, Let's talk about eggs first. So there's like three different types of eggs um, that are kind of, that I've noticed are like the main, main three Mm -hmm. cage free free range and then pasture raised. So cage free literally just means that the chickens are not confined to cages. However, it's not guaranteed that they have access to the outdoors. So they could still be in like a hen house, for example, as long as they have room to move freely in some type of enclosed space that is not a cage, they can be called cage free. Um, and I think the space limit is like no less than one and a half square feet, which like, okay. So they can flap their wings occasionally. Maybe it, it's, I don't really- even think <laughs> they have room for that. I challenge you, if you were listening to this to pull out your phone and look up what it looks like. And it is frightening, frightening yeah. what even cage free means. Why yeah. would an animal need to only have one inch of room? No, my animals that I want to be eating should be frolicking in the freaking <laughs> garden. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. So it really just means that there's a little bit of extra space that allows them to nest naturally. That's 
literally the only requirement for cage-free. So sounds really nice. Oh, cage-free. They don't live in cages, but it's not really what you think it is. Um, and then free range just adds a component of outdoor time. So there's still no uniform regulations for how much outside time is required or what the outside space even looks like. It might be bare dirt. Like it, there's no specifications there. Um, free range just means that they do get some outside time. And then pasture raised chickens have regular access to a large outdoor space that is covered in grass or other vegetation. So it's a little more specific on the type of outdoor space. Um, and then the time outside ranges from like six to eight hours per day, depending on the certifying agency. And then 108 square feet is the space requirement for most agencies. So we were just talking about 1.5 square feet, and now we're talking 108. So big difference there. Um, this is definitely the type of label with the most specific regulations. So it still can vary depending on mm -hmm. which agency that farmer is certifying through, but it's just, it's got a little bit more detail than the other two for sure. Yeah. And a tangible little piece of information on your eggs, if you are buying eggs and you're somebody who consumes eggs, one look for local eggs. There are options at your farmer's market. You can literally type up like on your computer, local eggs in my area, whatever, and find that. And the other thing is a safe brand, not brand or whatever that I go with, um, that I think, I mean, it's in Texas, it's in a lot of places is vital farms and they have options for pasture raised organic. Um, and that's just like a big name that I feel like people can maybe find in their local grocery store that meets the pasture raised, um, requirements. Yeah. And thanks for mentioning the organic thing because pasture raised does not always imply organic. Um, it, if you want it to be organic, it has to also say organic and pasture raised on the egg carton, because you can have pasture raised chickens that are roaming around in a pasture and still being fed corn. Like they get to roam around the pasture six to eight hours a day, but most of their diet comes from not organic corn or whatever else. So, um, it has to say both if that's what you want. Yeah. I just looked up vital farms. And so they have the black box, which is just pasture raised. Then they have the brown box, which is organic and pasture raised. Yep. So brown box people, brown box. Yep. Yep. So that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's not as simple as just like one word means everything you're good to go. Um, you really have to be reading them and like what's really on there. Um, and noticing the difference between like, if you're, if you're looking for eggs in the grocery store, like read a couple different cartons, like see what each of them says. Maybe one of them just says organic. Maybe one of them says cage. I mean, just like read them, see your options and choose the best one for what you're looking for. And then, um, the other animal product, um, that we wanted to talk about was grass fed and finished beef. So, Grass finished means that the cattle ate nothing but grass and forage for its entire life. Grass fed means the cattle was started on a grass-based diet, but may have been supplemented with grain at some point in its life or even finished on a fully grain diet, um, which I actually didn't know until I was doing research for this episode. I did not know there was that big of a difference between fed and finished. Um, but then also a note on grass. This does not guarantee that the cow is out there roaming around in the pasture all day. A cow can still be kept inside a barn, never see the light of day, and be hand-fed grass or hay. That counts as grass-fed. And that's obviously a rare slash extreme situation, but the point is that there aren't really logical rules behind these claims. Like the, the buzzwords that you're seeing don't necessarily mean what you think they mean. Um... So again, do your research, be your own best advocate and look into it if you're not sure. Um, and then pasture raised also applies to beef, but that refers to the fact that most of the cow's diet came from grazing outside on the pasture, eating grass right off the ground. So which one is better? It really just depends on what's important to you. Um, in summary, 
Grass-fed refers to what an animal eats, grass. Um, Pasture-raised refers to where it eats on a pasture. So if it's important to you that a cow ate the food that it evolved to eat, which is grass, and ate little to no grain, then grass-fed steak would be your option. If it's important to you that the cow was mainly outside in its natural environment, then pasture-raised steak would be your option. Um, But more often than not, pasture-raised is going to include both because the cow is also eating grass. But like we said, with the eggs, if you're also wanting organic, you're going to need to look for that as well, because there there's no one, one statement fits all. So, yeah. Um, the kind of outline you gave for eggs, does that also apply to like actual chicken that you were eating? Mm, Um, you know, I'm not sure. I think, well, I know pasture raised. Yes. Um, I think so. I think it does apply to chickens. Um, I don't know. Have you ever seen cage free on like an actual chicken? No, but I think more like the pasture raised things, like just because I know a lot of people buy obviously chicken at the store. So make sure Mm -hmm. you're getting organic pasture raised. If that is something that you care about to get your, um, animal source that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Pasture raised does apply to chickens as well. Um, So yeah, in conclusion, our food labels should really not be this confusing. Um, We need more clarity, more transparency, and more uniformity so that we can make informed decisions as consumers based on what is personally important to each of us um, and also to initiate change in the food system. Um, We can't be expected to buy things that encourage the type of change that we want if we don't know what type of change is needed or if we don't know what things mean and what we should be buying. Um, So the goal for this episode was to kind of explain what some of these things mean so that you can figure out um, what's most important to you. So that is the first action item. Figure out what is most important to you. Is it meat sourcing? Is it best practices for the environment? Is it reducing chemical exposure on your fresh produce? Is it avoiding certain synthetic food additives? Choose one thing that you really want to start paying attention to on your labels and begin there because like Liv and I, like we consider pretty much all of these things when we go to the grocery store and we look at labels, but it's definitely taken us a while to get here to the point that we like know what to look for. We actually are willing to take the time at the store to read everything and ask those questions. But, um, like when I was first starting out, I thought that cage free was the best thing mm-hmm. to buy for eggs. So, um, pick one thing to start with. Um, that's really, that's the most important to you and start there. So once you figure out what that is, then obviously start reading your labels. So let's say for example, that you choose meat sourcing as the most important to you. So the next time that you go to the grocery store, you're looking for chicken breast, for example, and you see one that says natural um, one that says organic and one that says pasture raised. Think about what those actually mean. Natural. Okay. Well, yes, chicken is natural. Chicken obviously naturally occurs in nature. That label actually really doesn't mean anything at all. Um, organic. Okay. So the chicken was fed organic feed, but did they have access to outdoor space? Pasture raised checks all of those boxes for you. So that's just one example, but practice asking those questions. You might have to Google some things, but be your own advocate is um, the moral of the story. And then number three, while voting with your dollar and what you buy is important, it's also important to stay up to date with what's going on in the food industry from like a regulation standpoint. Um, Because in my opinion, if we're going to make food labels this complicated, then we need to be teaching people how to read Mm. them in school at an early age, like this should be part of nutrition and health curriculum, in my opinion, because consumers are really the ones that drive legislative change. So keep buying what's important to you. Educate your friends and family on these topics. Do what you can to support groups that are trying to make lasting change. The Clean Label Project is one consumer advocacy group that does a lot of work with the FDA. They basically speak with them about consumer demands and they draft propositions, that kind of thing. So You can sign petitions, you can figure out which local politicians in your area support clean food labeling and take it a step further in that area if you really want to get serious about it. Wow, that was so helpful, especially the take-home action items. I feel like I honestly, like I do know a lot about these things, but I feel like I learned so much, especially on the 
GMO um, area. So thank you for explaining all that. And to end, Tatum and I both brought, um, I brought two pieces of food, um, processed food kind of, and she brought, I think one, and we're going to kind of dissect the labels so you can understand what we are looking for. So my first is a staple, and this is one that I think is pretty, pretty good ingredients. So cocoa, yo, coconut yogurt. If you have not tried this, please go try it now. It is amazing. Um, and this is kind of an example of what a food label should look like. Okay. The ingredients, raw, young coconut, raw, young coconut water, vanilla extract, probiotic cultures, stevia, and hundred percent pure love. That's so oh, that's cute. sweet. <laughs> um, and then something to note on this is that everything has a little asterisk by it. And then below it says organically produced. So mm-hmm. I know that every single item on this besides pure love is um, 100% organic. This label is also so transparent that it even goes into saying non-GMO, dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, raw. I'm not done. No powders, <laughs> refined sugars, fillers, gums, or emulsifiers. So this to me is so transparent saying what everything is and that it's full of no BS. Yeah. So (laughs) that is my first item. Coco, yo, that's an example of what a food label should look like. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And can you tell me on the, on the front of it, does it say organic coconut yogurt or does it just say coconut yogurt? So this just says Coco, yo, no organic on the front. Okay. So that's also another like important reason why you should read the ingredient labels, because you wouldn't have known that that was organic unless you had checked the back and seen Mm -hmm. that little asterisk that said organically produced. So like you could find a product that doesn't necessarily advertise that they're organic, which honestly, sometimes that's like a hint that the company's actually like, that's, they, they care about making a good product. Like they're, they're not really interested in the marketing aspect. Like you said, they're being very transparent about what's on it. Um, so you might have to look a little bit further, flip it over, read the ingredient label to see kind of more about it. Yeah, definitely. And then my second item, which I'm having a love hate relationship with right now, because I found out some things is (laughs) simple mills, which Uh, love simple mills, love that they're grain-free, but not everything of theirs is organic, which really was a heartbreaker for me finding out the other weekend. I just assumed because I know it's a good brand and like a grain-free brand. Like I just literally automatically assumed like, oh, this has to be organic, Yeah, but that is not the case. So although the ingredients are seemingly great and small, almond flour, arrowroot, flax meal, cauliflower, baking soda, organic oregano. Okay. There we go. Cream of tartar, tartar. Mm-hmm. I don't even know. And (laughs) organic garlic. Yes, it did say a few things were organic, but the almonds could not be organic. The flax meal could not be organic. And what could that have been sprayed or how was that sourced? I have no idea. Yeah. So, um, the front of that package doesn't say organic at all, right? Their pizza dough is not organic. FYI. Right. So they cannot use the term organic on the front of their package because they've got more than 70% of their ingredients that are not organic. Also note that on the bottom of that simple meals box, which I just saw when you held it up, it says non-GMO, right? Yes. There's my point right there. Non-GMO does not imply organic. So, so I still will eat this because I bought it and I'm going to have it, but something to think about that. Yes, this is great. in a few requirements, it still could have chemicals. Am I correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Poo. Poo. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the one that I found is a, um, a kind bar, which I feel like kind is a company that like really like pitches themselves as like a super healthy company. Wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well kind bar, if you hear this, <laughs> we're coming for you <laughs> because, um, I see some lies, Okay. So on the front of the bar, it says it's a kind breakfast protein bar. Um, and it says sustained energy from 100% whole grains, good source of protein, gluten-free. Um, and then it says that it has five super grains, which I'm not really sure what super grains means, but then it does have a little asterisk. And apparently those super grains are oats, millet, buckwheat, amaranth, and quinoa. 
So let's turn it over. We've got the non-GMO label. Nothing on the front says organic or anything. So I'm going to assume that this is not an organic product. Ingredients are <laughs> oats, cane sugar, canola oil, soy protein isolate, oat Oof. flour, <laughs> almond butter, honey, raisin paste, gum acacia, water, almonds, millet, buckwheat, amaranth, natural flavor, quinoa, sea salt, cinnamon, vitamin E. So first of all, I just want to say that those five super grains that they advertised on the front don't even show up until halfway in the ingredient label. So those are not the main ingredients in the product. The main ingredients are oats, cane sugar, canola oil, and soy protein isolate. You had me at canola oil. You had me saying absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And also (laughs) I just think it's funny that they advertise sustained energy from 100% whole grains, because if the first three ingredients include cane sugar, canola oil, and soy protein isolate, I can guarantee you, wouldn't you say that if you had this for breakfast, you, your blood sugar is going to (laughs) go in absolutely no way would I be sustained from that. Yeah. So it's just kind of funny to me, like the front of the package makes it seem like so healthy. And then you flip it over and read the ingredients and you're like, what? So I think, um, which honestly, do you even look at the nutrition facts on labels anymore? Nope. Neither. I like, don't pay attention to them. I'm, I'm all about just reading the ingredients instead, because honestly, the nutrition facts don't mean much to me, but, um, I only look at them if I'm trying to see how much added sugar is in something. So in this breakfast bar, there are eight added sugar, eight, eight grams of added sugar in this tiny little breakfast bar. So what a great way to start your day. <laughs> I would not say that, um, that that is what they, what they make it out to be, but yeah. yeah. So, um, just to kind of summarize everything, this was a lot of information and probably a little bit alarming in some aspects. Um, and like we said before, we don't mean for it to be scary or anything. Like we literally just want to provide the information so that you can, know a little bit more about, um, what some of these terms mean and kind Mm -hmm. of figure out, uh, which ones are worth it for you to start paying attention to. Um, because in my opinion, these are things that we should all know. I mean, I, I, I think that this is something that's important for everybody to understand. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely take this information, do with it as you please, but at least you have a better understanding of what there is out there and what you are consuming. Yeah. All right. Uh, Happy label reading, everyone. (laughs) We will see you next week.